Welcome to Fountain of Life Worship Center's podcast. We're glad you're here with us today. Today you will hear a message previously recorded from our pastor, youth pastor, or a guest speaker. Join us as we know God, grow in God, and go with God today. Let's jump into the message. This is the air I breathe. Can you just breathe him in this morning? He's here. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. This is my daily bread. This is my daily bread. Your Worshiping our children can be dismissed quietly. continue to sing that and we will worship brother Joey's going to make his way to the pulpit
the world only knew it, that's their song for today. As we look around us and we see, I'll be the first one to say, see and hear things that I never thought could be possible. And yet at the same time, it should not come as a surprise because the Lord has told us these things shall come to pass. But that is a song for our communities, for our family. They're desperate for God. They just don't know it. And they're lost without God. They just don't know it. That's where we come in. Because we need to be praying that the deception would be lifted. And that they would recognize and that they would realize that the desperation that they sense cannot be found in this world. The answer's not out there. It's not in a relationship. It's not in some kind of a drug. It's not in some kind of anything this world has to offer. It's in Jesus Christ. It's always been in Him. I am, I am so honored to be here today, and I, I, of course, we moved back home to Virginia, but West Virginia is our second home, and and uh, down in this part of the state, my goodness, I lived down here for the first few years of my evangelism antics and preached in churches and throughout here, but I'm going to tell you something, this family, Pastor Mick and Pastor Talena, I, I, I watch these kids, he thinks he's old, <laughs> but I, I can remember, I guess my first interaction with uh, Pastor Mick was with him and Pastor Scotty and Pastor Chad at Mill Creek Church of God, stinking rotten mean boys on the back pew cutting up while I was trying to preach. I remember them well. But I also remembered, or still remember, fond memories as the Lord began to move in each one of these young men's life. And, and, I, and I, I knew at that point that, that they were destined, that God was going to use them greatly. And, and uh, you know... I'm just thankful that the Lord allowed me to to meet this family. And, of course, I mean, Stanley and Sarah. I mean, at Mill Creek Church of God, Pastor Homer Sipple, you can't go to heaven unless you go through Mill Creek. Or Logan County, excuse me. He said, you can't go to heaven. I'm, I never will forget meeting him at a prayer conference in Beckley. He said, now, Joey, he said, you can't go to heaven unless you go through Logan County. I said, all right. Then I need to go to Logan County, but um, but no, just tremendous, tremendous, uh, tremendous memories, and of course, you know, Gail and Mel, and you know, I, I tell you, I, I, I'm just so so blessed, and I can remember, I, I don't know, really, was it Milk? I guess it was Mill Creek when when Stanley, you and Sarah, and the, the girls were singing together, and I was blessed by that. But I remember I was in a revival at Stone Branch when this little young gal come there one one night and sang a solo 
and my goodness, it was so anointed. I want to say it was a song you even wrote, if I remember correctly. I may be wrong on that one. Yeah, my memory's not as good either. So anyway, but either way, such an anointing. And I've watched this couple just be used mightily of God, and I'm so, so thankful that they're back here, and I know they're continuing to work on, and I know how blessed you are, and I'm honored to be here to celebrate this special day for this couple. You got a, you got a good, solid ministry team, and I'm thankful for that. Well, you've been standing up for a while. I'll let you sit down. How about that? Hallelujah. Um, I, uh, well, as my normal, my wife thinks I'm nuts, but as my uh, normal schedule goes, um, I'm just kind of wired that way. I'm up normally 2, 3 o'clock every morning, whether I'm working or not. And, uh, and it really got established when I started pastoring. A lot of times I'd get up and go to the church to pray. And I don't know, it just stuck that way. So now, you know, I just, I go to bed with the chickens, though. But anyway, I mean, I get up about, about 2, 3 o'clock every morning. And, you know, but I like that time because I'm, I'm alone and, and I can get my thoughts together. And so this morning was no different than any other morning. And as I was setting out in your vestibule there, I began to look at the beautiful display you had out in the hallway there of the cross and that he is risen and and uh, it just kind of inspired uh, this message this morning. So I'm going to ask, if you will, turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of St. John, chapter 19. And you can stand or you can be seated either way what, you, what you're normally accustomed to. I know we've been standing for a while, but if you, want, if, if you would like, please stand to honor God's Word this morning. I'm reading from New King James Version. My apologies to the sound group that I did not give them my scriptures this morning. Um, I've been, been fellowshipping too much today. Hallelujah. So, so, excuse me, John chapter number 19, beginning with verse number 1. Appropriate for this season of the year. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted crown of thorns, put it on his head, they put on him a purple robe, and then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, I love this verse, Behold the man. You know, there was a famous saying going around you hear a while back between sports heroes, the man, the man. No, I'm sorry. Here's the man. He's always been the man. Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. 
I want to bring a message to you this morning entitled King of the Thorns. King of the Thorns. Let us pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity today, Lord, because this is the day that you have made. This date was on your schedule, on your plan. Lord, I believe, God, that this day has been ordained of your hand. And Lord, you've brought me here to this house today, although we celebrate a a wonderful day of your servants, Lord God, but more so, we celebrate you in this house. These are your people. This is your word. Your spirit, Lord God, lives within us and is now moving in this house. And I pray, Lord God, help me today to speak exactly what you'd have me to say. Nothing less, nothing more. And that, Lord God, every ear would be attentive, every heart would be prepared to receive your implanted word so that it might produce fruit unto glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. And you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. I... uh, uh, like I said, uh, the, the, the beautiful display, but you know, my daughter, my oldest daughter, uh, last year moved into a new home, and the backyard uh, of her home uh, looked like it had not been anything done with for years. And so, you know how a piece of property will go in the woods or whatever when there's no one taking care of it. There was poison oak, there was poison ivy, there was poison sumac, and probably a few more other poison things. There were briars, and there were thorns, and what I call that is, is a product of the fall. Uh, Because, you know, if you've ever cleared any kind of brush or anything, it's not a fun thing to do. And more than likely, you're going to get a few sticks and pricks and those types of things. But in reality, if you go back and you look in the Word, you will find these kinds of things are exactly that. They are a product of the fall. And yet, you know, in this Easter season, as we began to, uh, you know begin to look toward Calvary and begin to look toward the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's no other story in history that has been depicted more in movies and dramas and in and, and songs and in books and, you know, in, in videos and in pictures. You know, the passion of the Christ, the enormous sacrifice that He paid. And in the Scriptures from Isaiah to Zechariah in the Gospel, and the epistles, they go into great detail uh, of how important that this one sacrificial act was for every person born under the curse of sin. How that, 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 that every aspect of what happened in that, that, that three days or, or in the days leading up to his death at, the Cal- at Calvary 
how important each detail, everything that took place throughout that whole ordeal was significant for our freedom and for our deliverance from sin. I don't know about you today, but I am thankful, hallelujah, for everything that he went through because if he had not gone through it, every single one of the people here today would still be under the curse of sin. Hallelujah, amen. The abuse and the mockery and the punishment and the rejection, it all played a part in the releasing of the children of God from sin's debt. The graphic nature, the torture in which he suffered, the lashing of the whip, the beatings, and and you know, and everything that he went through, and and, and all the all the, the pain and the suffering that he dealt with, they are gory in detail. If you've ever watched the movie The Passion of the Christ that came out several years ago, that, that probably is one of the closest uh, depictions of how horrible of a situation that was and yet I still do not think it could go to the detail of what he went through. It is a gory thing for sure, but guess what? It is glorious for the child of God. Hallelujah, because he took the punishment that was ours. The punishment of every one of us was upon him. So if you want to see how bad sin is and the debt of sin and how wicked it is, then look at the punishment that was administered to Jesus Christ. When God the Father placed upon him the iniquity of us all with each lash of the scourge, it was a testament of the ugliness and the depth of our sin. But how I, I want to focus on something entirely different this morning, although yes, a, a part of of everything that he went through and a part of, uh, of the whole aspect of the crucifixion and the punishment that he suffered, but there's very little ever said about the crown of thorns and the significance of that crown. Although the soldiers twisted this this this. Uh, crown of thorns as an act of mockery and then bowed before him and, and smacked him with their hands and spat upon him. They did it all in mockery, but in reality, what they did was quite symbolically a, a, a prophetic, symbolic act that they knew nothing about. They were symbolically, pro prophetically speaking with what they did. As a matter of fact, Mark chapter 15, all four Gospels mentions it, but Mark 15 kind of goes into a little bit more detail. And it says in Mark 15 verse 17, And they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns, and put, on his, and put it on his head, and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him 
and bowing the knee, they worshipped him. Now John talks about the reed being put in his right hand. Mark talks about them taking the reed after they put the crown of thorns on his head and beat on that crown on his head. Now, more than likely they did both. Maybe they put the crown on there, then beat him with the reed, and then stuck the reed in his right hand. Now, I I don't want to take too much time here, but I'm going to tell you something. If you don't know anything about scourging, we don't see the, the, the full vivid details in pictures but scourging was, was to make, take advantage of the maximum effect. They would strip the person naked. I'm sorry to say that Jesus, when he was taking the beating, he wasn't clothed. He was completely naked. And they beat him to, to and, and, and that cat of nine tails and just tore his flesh left and right. Jesus was not only exposed to the full effect of sin's curse on humanity, but his suffering and his humiliation was on full display for everyone to see. Now, this is what infuriates me about, especially today, with those who want to bring men into equal equality with Jesus. Those who would say there are many paths to God. Those who said, well, you know, you can believe in Muhammad and get into heaven. And you can believe in Joseph Smith and get into heaven. And you can believe in Buddha and get into heaven. Oh, there's many ways. There are many servants of God. I'm going to tell you, those men can't hold a light to what Jesus Christ did. He was the one that paid the price. Anything that drives me crazy, even just really gets on my nerves, is somebody taking credit for what somebody else has done. And I'm going to tell you what, there are not many ways to the heaven. There are not many paths. There is but one who paid the price for you and I, and it was Jesus. Listen to me. Demons don't tremble at Muhammad's name. Demons don't tremble at Buddha's name. But listen, you speak the name of Jesus. Demons tremble. They kneel. They kneel and confess that he is Lord. Hallelujah. Listen to me. There's nothing like the name of Jesus. Oh, I don't know if you've been there, but I've been in those rough places in my life. I've been in those places where I didn't know where to turn. I I didn't even know how to pray. But all I could do was say, Oh, Jesus. Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. And you know what? That's all it took. Hallelujah. What? Lord, I'm, I'm going to probably get myself in trouble here, but what, what, what's that old song that we used to sing? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like a fragrance after the rain. Oh, Jesus, 
Jesus, Jesus, let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there's something about that name. Come on, give him glory in this house. Shout his name. Jesus. Oh, make some demons tremble. Speak his name. Jesus. You see, there were three things that the Roman soldiers did. They placed, never know why I wear these things, I always take them off. They placed a crown of thorns on his head. They placed a reed in his right hand. And they clothed him with a purple robe. Just for clarification there, a purple robe is not what they were referring to here was not like some beautiful royal garment. More than likely, it was something like a throw blanket that just kind of covered his shoulders. It probably didn't go all the way to his feet. How could it? Because, you know, they, they were administering the punishment. But can you imagine here he stands with that purple robe, that crown beaten within an inch of his life at the point of going into shock? Blood running down from everywhere, shivering on display as they mocked him and actually bowed and worshipped him. You see, a reed that they gave him was to signify a royal scepter because that's what kings they, they carried in that day, a royal scepter. Now, a normal royal scepter was something that was beautiful and ornate. It was normally made out of gold. It had precious stones in it. And, and it symbolized, it symbolized authority and sovereignty. When the king carried his scepter, everyone recognized. And if you recall some of the old, like, you know, uh, uh, we, we read about the Medes and the Persians and, and the kings, how that they had to touch you with the scepter in order to allow you to come and approach them because it represented the sovereignty of their kingdom. And yet here we have Jesus being given a reed. A reed is nothing more than a hollow piece of grass. Or, or you know, you've seen these uh, reeds or cattails down near the, or bamboo or something along. But a reed was a very, a very delicate thing. It was a symbol of weakness. And yet that's what he held in his right hand. And right hand, of course, is the hand of authority. And then it says that they put a crown of thorns on his head. Now normally a crown, a royal crown, was something of beauty. It was something to behold. It was made out of gold and precious stones. And it was placed upon the head of a king or queen. And, and it was a testament of their supreme authority it was a symbol of how everyone was to bow and honor them. 
But there's nothing beautiful about a crown of thorns, at least then. It was only ugliness and represented pain and torture. And it was driven into his brow. Imagine the ugliness of this event. As blood ran down his swollen face. And if that wasn't enough, then to have these wicked soldiers bow down and mock him and rise up and spit upon him. But what they did not realize, they may have been bowing in mockery then, but it would not be long until they were bowing, hallelujah, for the true King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? Because three days later, hallelujah, the one they thought that they had conquered, the one they thought that they had killed, got up and walked out. I don't know. Pastor Mick, I don't know. I can't find in the Bible, but I have a tendency to believe the very same ones that were sitting there mocking him on that day were standing at the tomb, guarding the tomb when the stone rolled away. I would imagine they weren't being too proud and cocky at that moment. So what, so Pastor Joy, you know, what are you getting at? What's, what's the significance of this crown of thorns? Well, then we need to go back to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis chapter 3 verse 17 says this. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. Listen to me. As I said, thorns and thistles are a product of the fall. They did not exist until Adam and Eve fell in the garden. But once they fell, they became a part of their life. And they were placed here on this earth to hinder them from, you know, growing food. I don't know, you know, it, you know, if you, you probably got some gardeners around here, you know well as I. My goodness, you can dig up the ground, you can get every, you, you, you're trying to plant seed and get everything to grow, everything but what you planted wants to grow. Amen. I mean, honeysuckles have no problem coming up. Weeds have no problem coming up. Thistles, I mean, some of them things, just, they're like some kind of a life. A life. I, I, I want to say they're aliens or something. They, they just pop up everywhere. You see, these things were a product of the fall. So why wouldn't the very one who came, praise God, to deliver us from the curse have a symbol of the curse as a crown on his head? Stick with me. There's three things 
Three things, these three things, these sore, these, excuse me, thorns are symbolic of. As I said, they're a bar, byproduct of the fall, and they represent three things sin, sorrow, and sweat. Sweat meaning toil. Sin, sorrow, and sweat. When what the soldiers did in mockery was a fulfillment of prophecy. God used the scene of suffering to show us that when Christ bore our sins at Calvary, He also bore the symbol of sin's curse. Hallelujah. Stick with me. I'm going somewhere. You see that? Praise God. What you've got to realize is, is that the, the significance about him wearing a crown of thorns, remember a crown is a symbol of power and authority. It's a symbol of kingship. Why wouldn't the king of kings and the lord of lords wear the, the, the crown of thorns which represented sin's curse? But when they pushed the thorns into his brow and the blood became to began to run out that was a symbol of our sin being covered by the blood of Jesus Christ so what does that say Pastor Joey it says he rules over my sin is sovereign over my sin praise God The what? The, well hallelujah I don't know what does that mean well I'll tell you what it means I'm thankful today he rules over my sin because you see I know because I know there's always going to be those people that like to remind you of everything you've ever done wrong Hey, no matter how hard you try to overcome your past, no matter how hard that you try to move on with your life in Christ, there's always going to be flesh and blood there to remind you of what you've done, how you've fallen, how you've missed the mark, how often you've failed. There are always going to be somebody to try to hold their, your past against you. Now, maybe you've never had that experience, but I've had multiple times. And you know what? The worst part of it is, a lot of times, the very ones you love the most are the ones that will remind you the most. They're the very ones that want to be accusatory. They're the ones, yeah, they're probably the ones that remind you or remember the most about you. And honey, they can't wait to kind of drag up your past. I never will forget, I went to a, a revival in a church near where I lived years ago. And, of course, I hadn't preached there in a long time. I had never preached this church, but I hadn't been in the area in a long time. And I never will forget, there was a guy I went to high school with. Walked up to me, Pastor Mick, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, Oh, dear Jesus. And he walks up to me, and he's got this, this old snide grin on his face. And he says, <laughs> Preacher, huh? He said, well, I remember when. And I looked at him. I said, yeah, you remember when. But let me inform you of something. That old man is dead. Hallelujah. He's been buried. He don't live here in this anymore. 
You see, I'm glad that Jesus rules over my sin. Because when that enemy tries to drag up my past, Jesus just puts his foot down and says, You have no rule in this. You have no say. It's under the blood. Satan wants you to live out your life in guilt and condemnation. He wants you to doubt your salvation so he can rob you of your freedom in Christ. You see, the father lies and tries to, you know, he's the father of lies and he tries to scam us. He's always trying to scam us. And you know what? Here's the thing. It's true. None of us are worthy. Scripture says there ain't a single one of us worthy. No, not one. Scripture also says our righteousness is as filthy rags. But you see, I wasn't made worthy by my works. I wasn't made worthy by my daddy's works. And I wasn't made worthy because I joined a church somewhere. No, I was made worthy because he made me worthy. He took my sin and gave me his righteousness. So I stand here today in Christ, worthy, made worthy by the blood of the Lamb. Oh, somebody praise the Lord for being covered in the house today. Yeah, and guess what? Since that time, I've blown it. I'll be I'll be the first one to admit it. Lord knows I've blown it more times than I want to count. And whether you've blown it now or whether you blew it then, that make any difference you might have been a skunk, a punk, or a drunk. You might have fallen in any of those categories. There's no denying it. But the best thing about this, if you were a skunk, a punk, or a drunk, or still a skunk, or a punk, or a drunk, you come to Jesus Christ. And he says, I don't care. I paid the price. I rule over your sin. And I cancel the debt. Oh, praise the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Oh, hallelujah. I like what Ephesians chapter 2 says. But God, who is rich in mercy, though we were dead in our sins and trespasses, he has made us alive together in him, forgiving us because it's by grace you have been saved and it's not of yourselves. It was a gift of God. So God gave you the gift of forgiveness. He gave you the gift of grace and mercy. Jesus Christ took your sin. Why would you let the devil and his bunch scam you into believing that you're not a child of God? Preacher, I ain't done that. Oh, come on now. Every one of us, especially us Pentecostals, 
I just don't feel like I'm saved. I ain't read anywhere it talks about being built like you've been saved. I read plenty where it says I've got faith that I've been saved. I've been delivered. I've been set free. I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. I've got faith to believe all that. And I've got faith to believe that the crown that he wore upon his head was a symbol of the fact that he rules over all my sin. So when the devil and his imps try to come along and begin to try to accuse me and try to remind me, I can just say, hallelujah, you don't have rule over my life. I bowed my name to about my knee to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And at that point, he took the responsibility of my sin and he cast it as far as the east is from the west. Never to be remembered ever again. But not only is he the king, nor does he rule over my sin, but he's also the king and rules over my sorrows. Oh, this is important. You see, when life's circumstances bring about discouragement, discontentment, depression, despair, we need to remember that he bore our sorrows and he carried our grief. He is our advocate. He is our intercessor. He understands more about us than we understand about ourselves. He knows all about what it's like to have sorrow. He was lied on. He was betrayed. He was abandoned. He was falsely accused. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. He was verbally, mentally, and physically abused. And if you want to go one more step in the fact that he was stripped naked for everybody to watch and look at, then you could almost say he suffered sexual abuse as well. Now I can imagine I wouldn't have to go very far in this house to find somebody that's fallen into one of these categories at some point in their life. And they've gone through stuff. And they, they have sorrows beyond anything they can comprehend. But remember the reed that was given to him as a scepter. You see, Matthew chapter 20, excuse me, Matthew chapter 12, verse 20 tells me a bruised reed he will not break. And a smoking flax he will not snuff out. He's, he's quoting from Isaiah. But listen to me. There is nothing that could be closer to complete destruction than a bruised reed. Those reeds were very tender. They were very easy to break. There's nothing closer to death than a smoking flax. But I'm glad, hallelujah, the scepter was in the hand of the one who has all authority over my broken and when I feel like I'm at the point that I can't go on he wraps his authoritative hand around the bruises and the brokenness of my heart and my life and he says I am the one who holds it all together <laughs> sorrows something all of us deal with. And you may have come into this house today for a pastor appreciation or just as a regular church service. 
everybody look beyond the facade and the smiling face. I believe there's probably some broken or some bruised reeds in the house today. I'd say there's probably some smoking flax, some a candle that's at the very point of just a simple little ember to where there's a little bit of smoke left. Almost the light gone out. If you don't hear anything else I, I say today, for those bruised reeds and smoking flaxes in the house, he is intimately aware of where you are. He knows exactly how bruised and how broken you are. And guess what? He has not left you in your sorrow. He has not abandoned you or turned your back. No, absolutely not. The king of thorns is here to let you know that he can bring wholeness. That he can bring healing to your bruises. You see, when we have sorrow, where's the first place it shows up? When, when, when we're under stress, and we're under pain, it shows up right here in our brow. That's the first place. A lot of times, I, when I get to thinking strong, you know, when I'm thinking on something, I don't pay attention. Of course, I can't see my face, so, you know. But, you know, people people think I'm mad, you know. You know, they, they'll say, well, you know, when I was pastoring, you know, I'd be thinking about something real hard, and people would go to Lisa, and they say, is pastor mad? Is pastor mad? Well, no, I don't think so. You know, but no, stress, stress and, and tension and, and sorrow. The first place it shows up is on your face. It begins to, to show in the furrow of your brow. But I'm thankful this morning, hallelujah, that the king of thorns wore that crown on his brow and they drove it into his brow, which was another prophetic sign, hallelujah, that he is the king over all of my sorrow, all of my shame, all of my pain, and yours. You see, Hallelujah, and I can't see where the heat without these. But anyway, he was sovereign over our sorrow. He's the master over our misery. He's the king over our concern. And he's the God over our grief. Hallelujah. He was sovereign. He's sovereign. He's king over our sin. King over our shame and sorrow. And he's king over our sweat. Not the kind that the deodorant takes care of. The sweat of the brow. The toil. Those things that make us sweat. Those things that keep us up at night. Worry. Panic. Fear. Nervousness. Anxiety. Anxiousness. Striving to keep up. And, 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 and even trying to work our way to a point where we feel like we're good enough for God. Oh, my goodness. If we could get beyond that one thing right there, that we think somehow or another what we do impresses God, that somehow or another we're going to earn ourselves into heaven because we are working so hard to impress God. You might as well just go ahead and stop because it's never going to work. You can't work your way into anything when it comes to heaven. The only thing you can do is have faith enough to believe that when he died on Calvary, he died for you and he paid the price for your sin. 
Jesus, the thorn king, says, don't sweat it. I got this. But you know what? I, I'm just going to step out there and say, I ain't real good with that. See, the way I'm wired, I'm a fixer. Okay. No, I, I'm not just talking about mechanical stuff because I don't always fix that real good. <laughs> Hallelujah. Normally, I try to avoid it because if I'm working on a car or something, other Brother Stanley, uh, uh, well, if it doesn't go according to plan, I get, in, get to a point where I might lose my sanctification if I ain't careful. story on you when went on myself before 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 Christ <laughs> I met this beautiful lady over here we're, we're coming up on 40 years in a couple of weeks been married we're together about three years before that I took her out on a date first date I ever went out on her brother Danny with her, with her. and I, I had this 1974 Mercury Capri now, it was tangerine orange. <laughs> and that thing would scoot, and I'd run dog snot out of it. I'll just be honest about it. But if you know anything about a 1974 Mercury Capri, they had one flaw. Well, they might have had several flaws, but one flaw that really got on my nerves. It was a straight-shift uh, car, four-speed, five-speed, four-five-speed. Anyway, the linkage was notorious for getting locked up. So when it got locked up, you couldn't get loose unless you crawled under the car, wretch up in there with your hand or something else, and got it unhooked. Un, un now, if you've never seen a, a Mercury Capri, it sits pretty close to the ground, too. Now, back in them days, I was a whole lot skinnier, but it was still hard to get under there. We were out on a date. I was dressed to the nines. It was raining cats and dogs. We stopped to get something to eat. I get in the car and fire it up. Try to put it in gear and it ain't going nowhere. And I worked and worked and shook that thing as much as I could. It would not move. I knew what was going to have to happen. But I was good. I said it'd be alright. I got out of the car. Had a pair of pliers, old channel locks or something or other. I crawled up under that car of course, I was probably saying some very unnecessary things, but I was talking to it. <laughs> and I'm reaching up under that car, and she's in the car waiting on me, and I'm jerking around. I would imagine after about five minutes of laying in the rain and the slop and putting my hands up in a bunch of grease trying to get a... I would imagine I was saying probably some... Some probably some more words I probably shouldn't have been said and hope my mama never finds out that it did. <laughs> Finally, I had all I could take. I come out from under that car. I rolled out. I started at the hood and went all the way to the back, across the top. I beat the living daylights out of that car with that pair of pliers. <laughs> now, you want to talk about the grace of God? She's still with me after 40 years. Shocked you ever went back out on another date. But you see, I am a fixer when it comes to wanting to fix my family and fix problems. Have you ever been in a situation, it doesn't make any difference what it was, 
And this is a statement that come out of your mouth. God, what am I going to do? God, what am I going to do? Oh, dear Jesus, what am I going to do? How, how am I going to fix this? And you will worry, and you will wrestle, and you'll try. And the more you try, the worse it gets. And you just keep, God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I've been there. I'll tell you what you need to do early on. If I can save anybody the worry and the stress that I've gone through, God had to, God had to show me, you can't do anything. You can't fix it. You can't change it. You can do nothing. And so then, then what you do, you go from, oh God, what am I going to do? Then you move and you say, oh dear God, you begin to beg him to do something. You begin to beg, saying, oh God, if you, God, you got to help me, you got to help me, which is a good place to start, don't get me wrong, but that's not where you need to end at. Remember, hallelujah, he is the God, he's the king of your sweat. So what you need to move is, is to do is to move from trying to fix it, trying to beg him to fix it, to the point that you say, God, I don't know how, I don't know when, but I put my trust in you. God you're going to fix it what he wants us to do is get to the point howling it's hard to get there but you get to the point and say God I don't know when I don't know how but I'm going to praise you in advance because you're a faithful God you are the God of my sorrow my sin and my toil No, and I, I'm. If you guys want to come back to music, that's cool. No people getting hungry too. <laughs> I'm working against a hard thing here. You know, the parable of the sower was about thorns, seed of the word. How it fell in different places. One of the places that it fell that it was not productive was among thorns, because the thorns represented the cares. Of this life. And so the cares of the life will choke out the word in your life. If the cares of this life can choke out the word, then it'll destroy your faith. If it destroys your faith, then you can't please God. You see what I'm saying? It's an interruption of your relationship with God. I found out something, you know. Well, it's nothing new, but I think there's a lot of people that don't realize it. Satan, in reality, is not after your family. He's not after your church. His ultimate goal, he's not after your money, he's not after your health. His ultimate goal is after your faith. Because he knows if he can destroy your faith then you'll lose all connection to God. You'll turn your back on God. You'll stop believing God and His Word. That's what Satan's after. If you remember, he told Peter that very thing. He said, Satan has asked for you that he might shake you like wheat, shift you like wheat. But he said, I prayed for you that your faith would remain. You've got to understand 
that Jesus Christ, those crown of thorns, are so, so relative to what you are going through. Scripture says in Isaiah 55, cast your burden on the Lord. He shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. As I was typing this message up this morning, a lot of it I didn't need to share, but I couldn't help when I got up early this morning, came in the sanctuary and began to pray. It's almost that I just I just felt that urgency. That even though we're here to celebrate pastor appreciation, he said, there's hurting people. There's 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 people that's gonna be in this house today that are going through a dark time in their life and it may be that nobody even knows it. But he said, I know it. And I want them to understand that that crown of thorns is significant in the fact that I'm the king over their sin. I'm the king over their sorrow. I'm the king over their sweat, over their toil. But he said, They've got to let me rule in this. They've got to surrender it to me. They've got to transfer their trauma to me. You can't fix it. You can't change it. And I'm going to tell you, you can't ignore it. One thing you can do is give it to the Lord. You say, preacher, how do I go? I, I don't know if I can do that. Yeah, you can. Take it from somebody who's been there. But you've got to get to the point where you lay it down. Where you determine that I'm not going to pick it back up. I'm going to lay it at his feet and trust him with it. What else are you going to do? You can't fix it. It's still in your sleep. It's still in your joy. It's still in your peace. Why not trade Jesus? Trade your sorrow. Trade your shame. Trade your pain for his peace. Stand with me if you need. You're already playing it, Sister Toledo. Let's sing. Hallelujah. Sing it with us.
you can't change or fix. Right now, the King of Thorns wants to bring wholeness to your life. But what you've got to do by an act of faith, not because you feel it, but by an act of faith, you've got to get up and make your way into this altar and say, today I'm going to the King. I'm going to the king and I'm laying down my sin. I'm laying down my shame. I'm laying down my sorrow. I'm laying down my pain. I'm laying down the weight that is so easily beset. As they begin to sing that again, I'm I'm not going to take a lot of time here, but if that's you, if you're a bruised reed this morning, you're smoking flax this morning. If you're someone at the point of breaking, then I invite you by faith right now to come into this altar. I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you before we before we dismiss today. Anybody at all? Come on, right now. In the name of Jesus. 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 Thanks for listening with us today. We hope that you have been challenged, inspired, or God has changed you somehow or in some way by what you have heard. If you would like to learn more about Fountain of Life Worship Center, find us at our website at 
folwc.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash folwc, or in person. If you have a prayer request that you would like us to join in praying with you, please head to our prayer page at folwc.com slash prayer and click the image that reads prayer request. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can go to our website, folwc.com, and click give at the top of the page. Join us every Thursday for a new podcast. Hit subscribe on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to keep up with our most recent podcast episode. Have a great day, and God bless you all.